0: Well today I wanted to um, talk to you about a subject that I think has crossed every person's mind at some point many people with a very sensitive conscience this crosses their mind uh, daily and especially when they get to church but the question is does God accept my worship? Does God accept my worship? You know when you read through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and you get to where we are currently at in Leviticus, you couldn't help but see that God is very, very specific. God isn't loosely knit. He tells Moses exactly how he wants Moses and the Israelites, the high priest and so forth, to worship him. No bones about it. He actually tells him word for word exactly this is how you ought to slaughter that lamb at that point in time and this is what you do with the blood and the one who slaughters needs to wear this outfit and when you start reading through it, uh, it's actually burdensome and you think, wow, God knows how He wants to be worshipped. God knows the sacrifice He requires and it's not just any old sacrifice it is very specific and as a pastor I met with uh, some men last night or yesterday morning and and I shared with them how oftentimes you know throughout the last I think 15 years I've wondered how do I know I'm actually a minister (laughs) who gave me the right to be a minister you know to stand before the Lord and the Lord's going to go you know what that's that's pretty assuming don't you think and I was thinking how would I respond to that you know if you are gonna get into trouble with the Lord make sure you get into trouble with the Lord over doing more than you should have instead of less like how would you like to stand before the Lord and the Lord says you know what your whole entire life you blew me off (laughs) Versus, you know what I didn't ask you to give that much I know, Lord, but you know, you know, I didn't ask you to I didn't ask you to run around the world trying to save everybody. I know, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> which which one would you like to apologize for? <laughs> you know, I called you your whole life. And you sat there caring for yourself. No, I don't want that. But then when you zone in, you go like, "Okay, well, Lord, how do I know that even my worship is acceptable to you?" It is sobering to realize that throughout scriptures we see God actually rejecting people's worship over and over again. Here are a few examples for us to consider. God rejects Cain's worship in Genesis 4. We see God rejects Israel's worship in Isaiah chapter 1. In verse 13 it says, God speaking, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Just stop it. We see that God is not pleased with Jerusalem's burnt offerings or their sacrifices in Jeremiah chapter 6. In verse 20, he says, Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. We see in Malachi, God rejects the worship he is not pleased with. Malachi chapter 1 verse 10, it says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept any offering from your hand. Wow. In Amos, God hates the religious festivals and spiritual songs. In Amos chapter 5, verse 21, he says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. They gathered together solemnly to to do the whole incense thing and uh, you know where all of the smoke was coming out and they some some of them still do it today and and they honor the Lord with their lips and they honor the Lord with their lips but their hearts are far from God he says and here he says I hate that I absolutely despise your feasts I don't care which denomination you're in I don't care who affirmed your salvation I hate it he says And I I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Verse 23, he says, take away from me the noise of your songs. Oh, wow. (laughs) To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Shut it out. (laughs) Wow. One of the things is so true, you know, when you read through the Bible, as, as our congregation is doing today, God is extremely specific with regards to his requirements everything is actually on and this is what I'm realizing and it's more I've always known this but this has become so true for me when you read through this everything is on his terms everything if I ever had to meet Oprah Winfrey I would say Oprah I just wanna let you know I know you have many opinions and thoughts many perspectives but everything is on God's terms nothing on yours." And I'm just saying that because she kind of spearheads in my understanding and my culture, the way I've grown up. I moved here in the year 2000. And uh, I was so taken by her initially. I remember, Tina, you and I, we went down there and gave her, sent her or handed a painting that somebody painted in South Africa for her. And her offices used to be downtown in Chicago. But uh, to me, she really did set the temperature in our society, especially among ladies, in a big way. But we have to undo that thought. Everything is on God's terms. None of it's on ours. He's God. We're not. Amen? And so as I'm reading through the Bible, I'm realizing worship is on God's terms. It is evidently that throughout throughout Scripture that God is not obligated to, to accept my worship he's not obligated to accept it every time he accepts your worship it's him favoring you it's him having mercy on you because even my worship is so sinful and falls so short of who he is it's only because of his kindness that he would do this and we'll see this later you see he has the prerogative to reject worship he's not pleased with. Now we will also see later that God rejected worship that was not done on his terms in the exact specific way that he required. So how many of you have ever had that thought in your mind? You've oftentimes wondered or you've wondered at some point, like, is this even accepted, bef- acceptable before the Lord? Is this what I'm doing? Does it matter? Does he receive it? Modern Christians in America simply, uh, you know, seem to completely take for granted that God will accept whatever they throw up to Him. Well, could you say a prayer, will you? you? know, um, thoughts, just thoughts. <laughs> I love it. There's a certain denomination group of people that if you've been in, uh, if you were born in Chicago, you were that at least one time. And this one, this one church, they offer, people that from there, oftentimes they come, they say, hey, you know what, my, my mom is real ill. Could you pray for her? I'm like, yeah, let's pray. No, 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 no. Just when you pray, think of her. (laughs) They just, uh, it's almost like they're allergic to grab your hands and pray with you. But people say things like, ah, Jacques, you know, you're referring to the Old Testament now. God no longer requires high standards of worship the way He did in the Old Testament. We are now in the New Testament, a new covenant. Standards are lower. In fact, (laughs) I think... (laughs) God's standards are higher in the New Testament than they were in the lower, in, in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, why? Because to whom much is given, much is required. So let me ask again: What makes us so sure that our worship is acceptable before God? If you consider just how extremely high the standards were in the Old Testament, now to answer the question thoroughly, we we would need to start with a biblical understanding as to what worship really is. The word worship comes from the word worth. Ship. Worship comes from the word worth ship that talks about ascribing worth to something or connecting value or attaching value to something. That's worth ship, the worth of something. When looking at this definition of worship, it's easy uh, to see uh, that we could worship other gods in a very, very easy way by. Ascribing too much worth or too much value to somebody, something else, and that's called idolatry. And the way you fall into idol worship is by just doing just that. Ascribing greater value, more worth to something or someone other than God. That is your idol. So we oftentimes think, well, we're not in the Middle East and we don't worship idols the way they do. You know, we do. Participate in idol worship by ascribing or connecting value, more value to something or someone else other than God. That's how we fall into idol worship. So, if you look at it from that perspective, from a logical, clear, reasonable perspective, it is clear that worship is not exclusive to the 20 minutes sometimes less before service, you know. Yeah. The first 20 minutes of service, <laughs> that's worship. No, that's not worship. That's, in fact, us praising God corporately. Worship is your life. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, at the mercies of God, that you give your bodies as a living sacrifice for this is your reasonable worship. So every single thing, wall to wall, beginning to end, A, B, C to X, Y, Z, of your life is your worship before God. And you know that it took the reformers to actually come to this position because back in the Middle Ages, there was a line drawn between the sacred and the secular. And the sacred were those people who were part of the magisterium and part part of the leadership of the church, and they served at a very, very honorable position, right? And everybody looked up to... Them, wow, that's amazing! Look at that, that's a that's a man that speaks for God. He knows God, and me, no, I I was cursed with a with being a blacksmith, you know, with being a farmer, with being, and so there was this big divide. But then came the Reformation, and suddenly they realized that the Bible says, "You are a peculiar people. You are God's holy priesthood." Wow, you, we all are, and we learned that we have to do everything we do to the glory of God, no matter what it is we do. If God can't be glorified in what you are doing, stop doing it. Right? For instance, busy. <laughs> Here in the West, we glorify busy. It's almost like looked upon, looked down upon, in order to if you're not busy. The moment somebody finds you not being busy, you go like, well, no, 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 I'm busy, I'm busy doing stuff. People ask me, hey, so what you doing today? And then I catch myself having to, like, I've got to come up with stuff I want to seem like I'm busy, you know? Why, we, why do we have to be busy? No, we have to be fruitful, productive. That's what we have to be. There's a difference. A lot of very busy people getting nowhere in life. A lot of busy people just busy, busy. They're busy being busy. And the point I'm trying to make is, if that busy is stopping your life from glorifying God, then quit it, right? Because the whole purpose of your life is to glorify God. Everything we do is worship. Our jobs, our career, sport. And when any of these things become greater in worth, than Christ is to us then we are engaging in idol worship hear me out folks I wish this wasn't true but unfortunately it is and I'm of the opinion that I think every single one of us are guilty of the same everything we do is worship Nothing is excluded. Everything we value, our homes, our families, our children, our retirement funds, is worship. And attaching greater value to any of these than we do to Christ makes that our idol. And that makes us idol worshipers, idolaters. Everything we pursue in life, for instance, peace... Man, I just want my child to have peace in life. I just want them to be comfortable. When peace becomes more valuable to us, pursuing peace becomes more important to us than pursuing Christ. Then we have made peace an idol. I mean, you know, you have this whole meditation and yoga thing, taking over, even infiltrating the church. Look, you're going to have peace in Christ, but you're going to have to understand who Christ is and what He did for you and put your faith in Him. Then you'll have peace. (laughs) But the reason they have to resort to other things is because they don't really have the gospel, so they don't really have peace, and so they start turning to other things. Everything we achieve, everything we accomplish, everything we acquire. I tell you now, you cannot think through the gospel of Jesus Christ and work through a subject like worship. And when is my worship acceptable to God? Without it completely stripping you from self. <laughs> without completely stripping you from all of your self-righteousness. All of your idols. <laughs> all of your flesh. Your desires. Your lusts. All your personal ambitions. It just strips you, doesn't it? And you stand before the Lord and you go like, Lord, I'm guilty. Now what? God, I'm guilty. I love how Charles Spurgeon says, if somebody thinks bad of you, don't be angry. You're much worse than what this person thinks you are. He thinks you bad, but trust me, you're worse. (laughs) So relax. Don't get uptight when somebody thinks bad of you. You know, a thought that um, um, R.C. Sproul had, a couple of guys and I were reading through The Holiness of God together. And in the holiness of God, in chapter 3, he actually, he actually talks about the revelation, excuse me, 5, he talks about the revelation that, um, that Martin Luther had, and this revelation was in regards to the two commandments we were given by Jesus, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of All of your strength, and then to top it off, love your neighbor just like you love yourself. And Martin Luther, being a legal scholar, when he when he jumped tracks and he became a monk instead, he realized he knew how the law worked. That was the law Jesus gave us, and that is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And he said that. I am guilty of every single day all day long because there's no possible way for me to love God like that every day all day long. So he basically saw himself as a river of sin flowing continually. And truth be known is we don't really recognize just how sinful we truly are. I'm amazed that people want to kick against the doctrine of total depravity I'm good enough I haven't killed anybody (laughs) yes you have no idea no idea how desperately in need of the cross you are every moment of your life just those two laws we break all day long loving God with all of our hearts mind soul strength loving our neighbors just as we love ourselves We need God. We need His forgiveness and His mercy. And when I'm looking at this, I mean, this could just be another message, right? I could just give a message, but I don't want to give a message. I want to give a sermon. There's a difference. Uh, Actually, I want to give a message, not a sermon. That's the thing. (laughs) Everybody can give a sermon. Everybody can just download information, right? I want to give a message. It's almost like the mailman coming to your house and giving you a letter with your name on it. And that is what I feel like God is doing here today. There's a message that God is sending all of us today. Idol worship, idolatry is a a grave sin, and that's what Jesus disqualified the man who thought he qualified himself. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he said, hey, what must I do to be saved? Good teacher? Jesus said, why are you calling me good? Who made you the definer of good God is good he'll tell you what's good he says well you know what to do fulfill keep all the commandments you know them <laughs> The guy goes ah oh, I do those <laughs> I do them Jesus goes okay you do them give away everything you have and then come and follow me Jesus was calling this man to be one of his disciples you know what this guy goes, he, he has to walk away, but he walks away sad. The other, other thing interesting about that is Jesus. the Bible says Jesus loved him and told him to give everything away. Jesus loved him and told him to give everything away. He couldn't. He became sad and walked away. If you can't obey God, it doesn't bring joy. A lot of people disobey God in order to find joy. That's not where you're going to get it. You get it by obeying God right? But Jesus says to him that, why? Because you will have no other God before you. That's the first commandment and he can't even keep that one because money was his God. So he comes and he says, Jesus, I, I already keep all of those. And Jesus says, actually, let me prove to you. You don't even keep the first one. <laughs> He's an idol. Is an idolater. But by the looks of it, for the most part, I think every person in the West needs to rethink this. What do you value most in your life? In 1 John 2 verse 15, Jesus says, Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you have love for something more than what you have for God, the love of God is not in you. Now, he didn't say that you shouldn't have anything in this world. He says you shouldn't love anything in this world. In the Old Testament, we have another example of how serious God was about how we ought to worship Him. I mean, God is absolutely... Uh, specific about this. He made very sure we were clear over the fact that worship was not an afterthought. It was never supposed to be something we do when in fact the band is hot. Or worship was never something we do, you know, when we have nothing else to do on a Sunday morning. We might as well just go and worship. Watch this in Leviticus chapter 9-22. verse 22. It says, then Aaron lifted up his, his hands toward the people and blessed them. Aaron was the high priest of Israel at the time. He lifts up his hands towards the people and he blessed them. And he came down from the offering, the sin offering, and the burnt offering, and the peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, of the, out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out of out from before the Lord and consumed this burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar now try and imagine this, and when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. I would have loved to have seen that, but look at what happens after that chapter ten verse one now Nadab and Abihu, they were running out of ideas of what to call their children. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, Aaron, these two guys each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire. Watch that. Yeah, I know, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I just do that? Now nobody's listening. <laughs> you listen up to a point <laughs> and you go, "That was... <laughs> look at what happened. <laughs> these two brothers of the high priest, these two sons of the high priest, they were brothers, they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them. In other words, they were worshiping God in a way God did not tell them to worship. They brought to God something God did not tell them to bring. They were getting creative in their worship here. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, these two guys. This is like the pastor's sons. Fire came out and consumed them and they died before the Lord right there why they decided to worship God on their terms they decided to worship God in the way they saw fit another example of how serious God takes our act of worship is 2 Samuel 6 verse 3 and 7 it says and they carried the ark of God in a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab which was on the hill and Uzzah and Ahayo, (laughs) the son of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the Ark of God. And he went before the Ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Verse 6. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. So here's the Ark of God. What is in the Ark of God? The presence of God. Which today in the, New Temple, in the New Testament, we're able to enter. In the Old Testament, anybody enters the presence of God that shouldn't enter the presence of God died on the spot. If a priest went in, he would, and he wasn't cleared of all of his sins, he would die right there. This was holy. One of the oxen stumbled and the ark started slipping or tipping. It says, and as Uzzah grabbed it to stop it from falling, it says, verse 7, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah because he wasn't allowed to touch it, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died. We at Christ Nation hope you found this message meaningful. Please feel free to share it with anyone that you think needs to hear it. We hope you How can join us, us soon for a him. Sunday experience. What for more of information, please visit www.christnation.tv. Kind of Thank you, and God we bless you. We see in you. John chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman. Now, let me just tell you who Samaritans are. You had, basically, you had the Jews and the Gentiles, and then they hated each other with a passion. But then there were those Samaritans who were really both they were a mix 50% Jew 50% Gentile but the Jews would hate them because they had too much Gentile in them and the Gentiles would hate them because they had too much Jew in them so they were basically an outcast people and Jesus is about to meet not just this outcast person but sh- but it's a female a lady and which men usually did not speak to women at that time So in chapter 4 of John, verse 19, it says, The woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now remember, Jesus was telling her about her life. He told her how many husbands she has had. And the one that she's with, she's not married to. She was shocked that Jesus would even have this kind of knowledge. So she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You're a prophet from Israel. What are you doing here? Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You don't allow us to worship on your mountain. We're outcasts, so we worship on this mountain. You Jews, you worship in Jerusalem on that mountain. What are you doing here? Because I recognize you're a prophet, and our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship jesus said to a woman believe me the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem you will worship the father you worship what you do not know we worship what we know for salvation is from the jews verse twenty three but he says to her the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in what spirit and truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him this is who god is looking for He's not looking for you to stand on the, on the accurate mountain. He's not looking for you to travel to some revival somewhere. He's looking for you to worship God with the life you have right now. To worship God in truth is to sincerely worship the true God. Not the one we imagine, but the God of Scripture. Scripture that is to worship god in truth imagine this for a moment well let me first say this the problem with insincere worship becomes evident when people can't worship because you know it's not it's not my style of music so i'm not getting into it or i don't do hymns or ah oh, the sounds too loud or man the sounds so soft or You know, they can't serve God God because the people they don't like is in that church, and they simply can't get involved there because of that. And the excuses as to why people can't value the things of God is just never ending. It just continues. Trust me, I hear it. I hear it all the time. But that problem there is not a problem of not having the opportunity to worship. It's not having the willingness to worship. People are too busy, no, nobody's too busy. People who are busy are simply busy with something that is more important than that. You know, when you say, ah, I'm too busy, I can't read, read the scriptures right now, it's simply saying I'm, I've got something else that's more important than reading the scriptures. Because we all have 24 hours per day, seven days per week, right? We all do something with that. And what we choose to do with that is what we deem to be valuable. So this is the accusation of honoring God with their lips. They do honor God with their lips, but that really doesn't mean a lot if their hearts are far from Him. Then there's the problem with truth. So first we have the whole sincerity issue, right? Because a lot of people have the truth, but they're insincere. But then you have to have the actual truth to worship God. These are the worshipers He's seeking after, those who will worship Him in truth. But imagine with me for a moment this scenario. A friend of mine comes up to me and tells me they ran into my wife at Walmart. And he had this wonderful conversation, he says, with my wife, about the Lord. And he's impressed with how much she knows about Scripture. I'm like, "Yeah, she does know a lot about Scripture." And then he's very impressed about how she talked about the store. Walmart's a massive store, and she knew everything where everything is in Walmart, and she knew the prices of everything. And this guy tells me, man, I am shy. I am so impressed with your wife's knowledge. I'm so impressed with her demeanor. I mean, she's, she was just so accommodating. She was helping me get the stuff I couldn't find. And, and uh, yeah, I couldn't believe how, how, what a servant heart she had. And that was amazing. He then continues to mention that she was having trouble with her wheelchair that she was in. Like a wheelchair? Yeah, she's in a wheelchair. Like, I was taken back because Tina doesn't use a wheelchair. And then he says to me, "Yes, she, uh, Tina. You know, she's she's got these these spiky bleached blonde hair, the spiky little hairdo, right? Uh, This friend of mine, obviously." when he was telling me about how impressed he was with Tina and how he was just so blessed by her and taken by her. And it's like she's so servant hearted and she knows so much. And he's like, he's obviously talking about somebody else. He's not talking about my Tina. There's another Tina in a wheelchair in Walmart with short, spiky, bleached blonde hair who knows the store. But it's not my Tina. And he's like, man, I was so blessed by her he was impressed with everything regarding her even though he was referring to Tina he wasn't referring to my Tina it wasn't Tina Jacobs what am I saying he was really impressed with somebody else (laughs) in the same way being excited about God when you have all the wrong facts about who he is is empty emotionalism. It is not worship. God is seeking those who will worship him in truth. To worship God in truth is to sincerely worship the true God, not the one they imagine or one somebody else told them about which doesn't fit the scriptures. Are you following what I'm saying? It is not acceptable worship if you worship a God that is not found in scriptures. And the fact is in this case you would have been worshipping a God of your own imagination. If we look around we see much of the modern worship, worship culture in this kind of worship. Again, I'll just bring Oprah up because we always do. I mean, she worships God, surely. I know she does. I'm not the God of the Bible. But God is searching those who worship Him in truth. The true The true God of the Bible, that's the one he's looking for. You know, that's the whole thing about this culture. Always talking about, well, I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. Well, that's, yeah, you're worshiping another God. Basically, that's what's happening, right? If we look around, we see so much of the modern worship culture is exactly this kind this is the god of popular christian media soft fuzzy <laughs> you know non-judgmental positive and encouraging kay love <laughs> god is basically a good vibes only life coach in the sky that's all he is he's my boyfriend actually I love Him. Really? The question is, which Jesus is it that we are talking about here? So it doesn't matter when you, when you, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what your doctrine is because guess what? They always say, God is here to help you live a better life and stay encouraged. No, to worship in truth is to worship God with accurate doctrine. And I wanted to land here because I think our culture is moving there fast. In our day, we are seeing revivals take place. And this is something we regularly see take place at least every 10 years. Revivals spring up, and everybody gets really excited about revivals. Now, I'm excited about Reformation. I'm excited about the the word revival doesn't exist in the Bible, but the prayer does say, revive us, God, revive us. And a revived person exists. God revives people. So I'm not against a revival, just so you know. But I'm asking questions about our perspective of what it actually means to have a revival. In many churches, it is frowned upon to bring up doctrine because doctrine divides. Doctrine is boring. Doctrine divides. And this is something we regularly see take place. Almost, you know, everywhere where you bring it up, you'll see people are arguing about stuff. And you go like, well, that's not revival. Well, how do you know it's not revival? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I was revived after I realized how wrong I was in this discussion. If that person, who doesn't know me from a bar of soap, John MacArthur, if he, if he, didn't, if he wasn't drawing lines with doctrine I would never have known what I knew about myself, <laughs> Total, totally depraved, and I would never have been revived. So many churches frown upon doctrine because, you know, it's divisive. So what did they do? They Let's just draw the sing. Because if we sing, think about it, <laughs> you know, who's, argue, who's arguing? We love how great thou art. We love honoring God with our lips. Somebody said this one day. They said, the most amount of lying per week happens in services on Sunday mornings. When people are singing, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you everything, Lord. And I just always singing about these, these incredibly um, consecrating songs and stuff. When in fact, they don't necessarily live that way. So everybody's united singing about their understanding of who God is without any arguments, without any disagreements, without any, or requirements to actually serve Him. They sing about wanting to know Him more. I just want to know you more, God. I want to know you more. And they keep singing. And I've often wondered about myself when I used to sing a song about no, wanting to know you more and wanting to know you more. Why don't I stop singing and go and open up the Bible and learn about who He is? I'd get to know Him more, right? Right? <laughs> And that's why people sing and sing, I want you, God, I want you, God, I want you. How are you going to get him? No one. No, we don't want doctrine. It divides, and it'll destroy the revival. It'll destroy the unity. I've personally been told that doctrine divides. And here's something else I've been told, is that doctrine gets in the way of loving Jesus. I just want to love Jesus, man. And loving Jesus is what it's all about, Right? My question would be, which Jesus are we loving here? (laughs) Because he's he's seeking those who would worship him in truth. He He wants us to sincerely worship who he really is, and that would be worshiping him in truth. If you worth who he truly is, if you value who he truly is, a God of wrath, a God of mercy, a God of judgment, A God of forgiveness. A God who does whatever he sees fit. And everything he does is right, no matter how wrong it looks to me. That's the God of the Bible. And if I can worship him, if I can put value to him that exceeds all other things I value, now I'm worshiping God. And I haven't sung a song yet. Are you following what I'm saying? The prophet Hosea had to deal with this exact same issue. And this is how the Lord responded through the mouth of the prophet in Hosea 6 verse 6. He says, For I desire loyalty rather than sacrifice. Stop singing and singing and singing without ever committing to anything. Just stop it. He says, I desire loyalty rather than sacrifice. And the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings is that verse on the screen can we can we put it on the screen I want you to see it Hosea 6 verse 6 this is so this is so big for I desire loyalty rather than sacrifice I desire loyalty come on commit to God rather than keep on singing to God and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings and learning about who He is. Know Him. Knowing God is in fact to worship God with, um, in a way that pleases Him. I want to share with you three prerequisites, and these I'm just going to mention, and we will be done. Three prerequisites for God to accept our worship. I don't know if I said that right. Three prerequisites God has before He's willing to accept our worship. The first is in order to worship God in spirit, a person must first be regenerate, they must first be born again. Because He's seeking those who will worship Him in what? Spirit and truth a person who is spiritually dead cannot worship god in spirit right the things of the spirit is foolishness to the unsaved person how is he worshiping god in what he sees to be foolish that is why he naturally engages in idol worship of some kind because the things of the spirit is foolishness to him I'm going somewhere. Watch this. My question is, why are we arranging our Sunday worship services to accommodate seekers? Why do we think that a seeker-sensitive service is a worship service? Worship is for the spiritually regenerate church, not for those who are thinking about becoming regenerate. (laughs) Right? Do you follow what I'm saying? you can worship god because your spirit has been regenerate and he is seeking those who can worship him in spirit those whom he has born again birthed again those whom he has regenerated so worship is for the spiritually regenerate church not for seekers seekers cannot worship god in spirit and nor are they able to worship god in truth since they do not know him either Number two, what does God require before He will accept our worship? Well, we must first know the truth about God before we can worship Him in truth. We must have the Bible truth about who God is in order to worship Him for who He is. We cannot be getting excited about God, sing to God, clap, dance, all in the name of the Lord, but we do not know the truth about Him because we do not allow doctrine to dampen We won't allow doctrine because it dampens our excitement. So, you know, you get revivals and then you go, What do they do there? They sing, Oh, okay. To who? To God. Well, who are these people? Well, they come from absolutely everywhere. Well, what do they believe? Well, this we don't know. You know, it's important to know that you can't worship God. Until you first go and know who he is, know who he is, and then worship him for who he is. I love to get excited with worship music. I love uh, upbeat music. I studied music. I've got two degrees in it, and I and, and I sometimes don't know where to draw the line. Somebody says, "Hey, where's your what's your favorite music type?" You know, type of music. I have no idea. I know it's not opera. That's the one thing I know. <laughs> I studied opera, I sang opera for a long time, and um, there's no money in it, man. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) In my opera school, I was the only straight guy there. Yeah. You go like, that's, yeah, praise God. (laughs) No. I mean, all the ladies had one choice. You know that's not good either it's like nothing works out (laughs) nothing wrong and it's actually necessary for us to engage emotionally in worshiping God we have to love him with all of who we are but we cannot negate or neglect understanding who he is first otherwise We stand a chance or we stand uh, the danger of falling into emotionalism. We must first know the truth about God. And then thirdly, we must worship God on the basis of our faith in Christ. I come worshiping God because I'm in Christ, not because I'm out of Christ. 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. How do you like that? Isn't that beautiful? As you come to him, a living stone, you are a part of this brand new temple. In 70 AD, the temple was pulled down. Every rock was pulled. There wasn't one rock upon another. And the reason that happened was because when they invaded Rome, they burnt everything down. And the gold in the temple started melting and ran down into the foundations and when they came looking for the gold they took every rock off of each other not one stone left upon another in order to find all the gold that was all the way down into the foundations and Jesus' prophecy came to pass not one stone will be left upon another the temple was pulled down and he erected a brand new temple and you are one of the stones in that beautiful temple so he says right here, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, that's who you are. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're God's priest. We have priests in the world today, and here they are, <laughs> Right? To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. To offer what? Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. How is my sacrifice acceptable to God? I'm a priest. Why am I a priest? I'm in Christ. It says to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. How? Through Jesus Christ. You're in Christ, therefore a priest. Therefore, your worship is accepted. Your worship is qualified by Jesus. You see, apart from Christ, I cannot offer worship that is accepted unto God. It just isn't. Not good enough. This shows that not only is Jesus worthy of our worship, but He makes us worthy to worship. Even when I worship, I realize that I do not do this on the basis of, uh, of my, my own merit, my own self but I do this because of His mercy. It's a mercy that we get to worship and live. Entering God's presence should have killed us, but here we are, living in the presence of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that when we worship you, we can worship you with full confidence, knowing you accept our worship You accept our offering. You accept our sacrifice. Not because our offering, our sacrifice, or our worship is good enough. But because we are in Christ. And He causes our worship to be acceptable to you. Thank you, Lord. Even our worship is accredited to you. That's why one day we will take our crowns or fireheads and we will lay it at your feet. Amen. Did you get something out of the word?